three. You're listening to Sports Talk Chicago with your host, John Zaglul. John, I am fantastic. Thank you for having me. You got an awesome voice, man, and that was a terrific <laughs> intro. You're like a pro's pro. You know, that was the first time somebody ever said that, John. No, you're the first person to ever say anything like that. That's, that's very interesting. You got it, John. Anything for a fellow Chicago guy? <laughs> well, what a great question. That's a great question. Nobody's actually asked me that. <laughs> I like it. What a great question. I never heard that before. Chase, wait, wait, Chase Utley is what? You're saying he's not a Hall of Fame candidate? You know, it's it's funny. I, I, You may be the only person that I've heard make that connection. Thank you, John, for having me. I'm doing great. By the way, you have an outstanding voice. I'm not sure about your face because I haven't met you, but your voice is great. You're doing a much better job than I ever did. You've had some heavy hitters uh, guests on too, man, so keep up the good work, but it's good to be with you, and I'm ready to talk sports. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Sports on Chicago. My name's John Zaglou, great to have you here on today's edition of the program, The Bears. have a new quarterback, and it's not who you think. We'll talk about it in just a second. Plus, a brand new interview today with Brandy Mueller, the former NFL GM and the 2000 NFL Executive of the Year. We talk with him extensively about NFL free agency, how you exactly sign a free agent in Bears football, and so much more. It's a great interview. Comes your way near the midway point of this show. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zagluo. If you want to watch more of this show, search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, SportstalkChicago.com. I want to start today with this. It turns out the Bears did get a quarterback. A lot of people said, well, John, you're way too focused on the backup. Who cares? He's a backup. Well, it matters when he already made $4 million for simply existing, for simply being on the roster. That's why I got so mad. The Bears, we're clearing up salary cap. We have salary cap issues. Let's look forward to 2023. Well, you know what? And you should have cut Nick Foles, too. You should have cut ties with him. You should not have paid him that $4 million in a roster bonus. It didn't align with what Ryan Poles and his mission truly is. did not align. That's why it caused so much frustration. So for those of you wondering, I hope that's some clarification. Now, the good news. It really does look like, according to Mike Garoppolo, NFL.com, that... The Bears will trade Nick Foles, which I can't even believe I'm saying it, but economically, it actually might make sense. Garoppolo noted a $4 million roster bonus Foles was due last week has been paid out. That, coupled with the fact that he only has $1 million of his remaining compensation guaranteed, would make it easy for a team to add him from a financial perspective. A trade would save the Bears if there's $8 million in cap space while creating a dead money change of $2.67 million. So there's the economics on Nick Foles. Not bad, huh? You trade him, you save $8 million in cap space. Do it. See, Ryan Foles finally is doing something when it comes to Nick Foles that aligns with his plan. This aligns with Ryan Foles' plan. The goal is to cut cap. The goal is to get rid of big contracts, bloated contracts. This is one of them, believe it or not. John, what are you talking about? $8 million means nothing. Hey, it means a lot when you're paying that to a backup quarterback. Oh, sucks. No, he won a Super Bowl. I don't care. It's five years ago. Get over it. Get over that. 
He has to go. Finally, looks like the Bears actually pulled this one off. They do sign Trevor Simeon, though, to a deal. I love this move. I can't even emphasize it enough. Trevor Simeon, last year, actually started four games after Jameis Winston got hurt. Loving touchdowns, three picks. Yes, his record was 0-4, but did not turn the ball over. Good showing in starting reps for the Saints. And was a former respectable starter as a rookie. 18 touchdowns, 10 picks, 3,400 yards, and an 8-6 and six record in Denver, 25. Obviously, things didn't work out, and now he's considered mostly a backup. But still, this is not a bad quarterback. He's actually one of the best backups in the NFL. Name me better backup quarterbacks with those numbers and that pedigree in football. There are very few. I mean, Mitch Trubisky technically, but now he's going to be starting. There aren't many who can match what Trevor Simeon has done. Came out of Northwestern, Chicago guy, went 8-6 and six in 14 games in 2016 for Denver. And this past year, 11 touchdowns, 3 picks, with the Saints in 4 starts, 6 games total. You gotta love it. And more than anything, you have to love the fact that Nick Foles, if they trade him, saves $8 million in cap space. May not seem like a lot, but you know what? $8 million a year could get you, cornerback, maybe an offensive lineman, maybe two of them. That's actually a lot of money for the Bears for this year, and it could allow them to make more moves moving forward before this season actually starts. Or, conversely, trading in the draft. The Bears have more cap space. They could maybe take on somebody else's contract. So $8 million means something, is my point. It means something for the Bears, for their cap situation, and for their future. And now finally, it looks like Nick Foles is going to be traded. I can't believe it. I'm just so happy. You know, I've been saying this for years to trade him. Even last year, I made videos about this, too, and there were rumors, and it never happened. Couldn't be more excited. Oh, I hope he goes and never returns to Chicago, and I hope he goes somewhere and sits on the bench for the rest of his career and gets his paycheck. And think about that. $4 million the Bears already paid him just to be on the roster. Ridiculous. Wrong. Oh, my goodness. And why do I care so much? Why? Because the Bears could have used that money for something they need. Again, that would have been a good salary for a young cornerback or a young offensive lineman. No, instead you pay $4 million to Nick Foles for sitting his ass on the bench. That's the problem with it. That's why I'm so passionate about it. It's not worth it. It's not worth paying him $4 million just to be on the roster. And now, my wish has come true, supposedly. I mean, no trade is imminent, but there are conversations. I'll take it. No more having to worry about Nick Foles. No more having to defend him or lack thereof with the fan base. Nick Foles sucks. Said this from day one. Horrible trade, Ryan Pace. The Bears took on way too much of his contract for no reason, and they thought, out of all people, he would be a viable option to compete with Mitch Trubisky. Again, I tell you, look at this offseason. Look at who's moving. And Ryan Pace said, you know what? I know who to get. I know just the guy. What a joke. I mean, that just goes to show you how stupid of a GM he was. You know, I find it ironic, too. Now he's in Atlanta, and all of a sudden, Atlanta trades Matt Ryan, former MVP, for a third-round pick. Him and Bill Embry. Him and Bill Embry together. Ryan Pace probably showed up. 
got in his hotel room and said, hmm, I wonder how I can ruin another quarterback situation. Sure enough, he already did. NFL and media could say what they want, a third-round pick. One, for Matt Ryan, come on, that's a ripoff. Matt Ryan's the face of that franchise, 50,000-plus passing yards, MVP, almost a Super Bowl. For a third-rounder. The Colts gave up a first-rounder for Carson Wentz, but now the Falcons can't even get a third-rounder back? That's all they get? I mean, wow. Talk about the market changing and talk about stupidity from the front office on when they should have traded him. You gotta love it. If you're a Bears fan, you have been exposed to quarterback problems over the years. So this Nick Foles saga is nothing new. But I'm really happy. <laughs> I'm so happy. This needed to be done. Oh, I hope they trade him somewhere immediately, like super quick. I hope by tomorrow morning I'm waking up and I see trade for Nick Foles. Get him out of here. Have him go back to Philly. Go ahead and take Jalen Hurts' job then. But stop messing around with what you have here. I don't even care if Justin Fields can learn from him or not. You know what? Trevor Simeon, you can also learn a thing or two from him. This guy's a winning quarterback too in Denver. Went 8-6 his rookie year. And last year with New Orleans with Sean Payton. 11 touchdowns, 3 packs. One of the best backups in the game. He's going to be 31 years old. Puts up those numbers last year and spot starts. Came in for Jameis Winston when he got hurt before they handed the keys over to Taysom Hill. You could not get a better backup. And a good guy, too, from what I've heard. Chicago guy on top of it. Played at Northwestern. Stand out at Northwestern. This is a very positive move. Kudos to Ryan Poles for getting this one done. Now, if he trades Nick Foles, my goodness. I'm going to be in love with this guy. Told you already, $8 million would be saved in cap space. The dead money charge would only be $2.67 million. So $2.67 million in dead cap for this year. They already paid him $4 million. $1 million of his contract is remaining. That's guaranteed. And $8 million in cap space would be saved by unloading Nick Foles. Not to mention the fact that he will never play anyway, even if he stayed around. When's he going to play? They got Trevor Simeon. I'd rather start Trevor Simeon, who's younger, and actually played decently last year than Nick Foles, who started one game last year and is going to be 34 years old. All around, it makes perfect sense to trade him. But even more than that, it made perfect sense to sign Trevor Simeon. And that's a big kudos, a big praise for Ryan Poles. Great job. Who knows if Justin Fields is going to be hurt, but you know what? If he does, Trevor Simeon could easily step in. Last year did it. Backed up, stepped in for Jameis Winston, succeeded, in my opinion, despite the record. Still, 11 touchdowns, 3 picks. Imagine if the Bears had that production last year out of any one of their quarterbacks, including Justin Fields or Andy Dalton, Nick Foles. Over a four-game stretch. I would have won more games, easily. This is the best backup in the NFL, and the Bears have him now. Great move by Ryan Poles, and he will complete this entire transaction when he trades Nick Foles. Just needs to come through with that last haymaker. He's right there. So happy. Just goes to show his ability, as we've seen a couple of times already, 
to be shrewd, but also be smart when it comes to players, when it comes to talent, when it comes to cap space. I still am critical of the fact that maybe he hasn't gone out and gotten enough wide receiving help or good wide receiving help. I got to hope in the draft he corrects it. But other than that, every signing has been shrewd. The Elgin Joby thing, well, you know, that's a tough one. Not a good way to start, but he's cleaned up since. I'm so happy. I'm just so overjoyed. This guy's going to be gone. Got to throw a party, just like when we did on here for Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace being fired. Nick Bowles leaving, another party. No more old Bears artifacts that suck. No more having to talk about it. No more having to worry about 2020. Oh, Trubisky and Bulls, who's going to be better? Who'd, who'd you side with? No more. Now, it's Justin Fields and Trevor Simeon. And yes, Trevor Simeon will be the backup. Saw a couple of comments saying, hey, Trevor Simeon's going to start now. No. <laughs> that makes no sense. There won't even be a competition at all. It's going to be Justin Fields to start, obviously. And that should be right, no matter what. Trevor Simeon is a great backup. He's proven himself a little bit in the NFL, a lot in college. 31 years old, and last year actually got real reps and performed, in my opinion. Did the best in that situation, really. Had no Michael Thomas, either. I mean, he really didn't have a lot. Comes in randomly for Jameis Winston, who freakishly got hurt towards ACL. I thought did a great job considering the situation. No matter what, I'll take 11 touchdowns, three picks, even with the lower completion percentage. As long as you don't turn the ball over, I'm a happy guy. I got no problem with you if you never turn the ball over. Because that sets you up for wins, no matter what. You could go 15 to 30 every game, which is bad, but still, if you never turn the ball over and throw for two touchdowns a game, you're a winner in my book. And most likely you're a winner in real life, too. You're going to win. You're going to win with those types of numbers. And that type of ball security, that's so important. That's something Justin Fields needs to work on, and here's a guy you could learn it from, too. Nick Bowles doesn't know about ball security. He had 10 touchdowns, 8 picks in the games he played in 2020. Robert Simeon, 11-3, much better. Much better. You could learn from Trevor Simeon what he picked up last year from Sean Payton and the Saints situation. Good guy to learn from. And you save $8 million, and that's the key. For whatever Nick Foles brings to the table when it comes to learning and teaching and being a mentor for Justin Fields, I'm sorry, that's a pretty damn expensive mentor. Nick Bowles is probably the most expensive mentor in the NFL. $8 million. $8 million. My goodness. That's more than some coaches are making. <laughs> to what? Teach Justin Fields? What's he going to teach you? How to throw picks? How to fumble the football? Come on. This is way better. Less money, younger guy, and just played last year and got real reps. Great job. Brian Poles, goodbye, Nick Poles. Finally, goodbye. He won a Super Bowl six years ago. Get over it. It's over. Focus on the now and the present. The present Nick Poles is lucky to be on an NFL roster. He is. Anyone here an office fan? Remember the episode in season four when 
Michael, the boss, said goodbye to his HR guy, Toby. Had a big carnival in the parking lot and did a parody of a song. Started singing, goodbye, Toby. Goodbye, Nick Foles. See you later. Hope to never see you again. And welcome, Trevor Simeon. Deservedly. We deserve to be here. Welcome to Chicago. Parents fans treated Chase Daniel, I would say, pretty well when he was here. Parents fans in general have an affinity with backup quarterbacks, mostly because the starter sucks. But in this case, you bring in somebody who knows his role, who's had mild success at the NFL level, and yes, could teach Justin Fields. It's a great move for everybody. And most importantly, it boosts Nick Foles for good. More to come here on Sports Talk Chicago. My interview with Brandy Mueller comes up next, so stay tuned. Sports Talk Chicago. Here for John Zaglul, and we are back and ready for today's special guest. He's the CEO of MuellerFootball.com, host of the Football GM Podcast, and the 2000 NFL Executive of the Year. Please welcome Brandy Mueller to the program. Brandy, it's great to have you on again. How are you? Hey, John. Good to be back. I appreciate it. What do you make of this crazy NFL offseason, first off? I'll tell you what. There's been so many deals that I think in any normal offseason, any one of these deals would have probably carried us through the offseason. But <laughs> there's been a half dozen, maybe eight or ten of them that I just shake my head at. I, I, I credit the GMs for being willing to take swings. And I credit other GMs for being willing to cut the cord. Deals are not easy to make, especially when the volume of dollars that are involved, that always adds a, an intrigue and an element of, you know, a lot of us didn't have to deal with uh, back in the day. The, the paper trail that is now left behind makes for an interesting dynamic when regards to trading uh, players nowadays. So it's been fun to watch. Um, I don't know that we're done yet, but we seem to be focused a little bit on draft now and maybe a few restricted guys that are still making the rounds, but hopefully it's settled down a little bit. Why none of these deals happened when you were GM? Why is it all now? Um, that's a good question. I think there were deals that were made and I I've, I've went back and, and kind of traced my own past. And I was part of three or four or five first round pick type deals. And I think those are, those are big deals when you're talking about swapping first round picks for players. Um, been a part of some of those. I don't know now, except that I think they're the aggressiveness of ownership. They've allowed GMs to be aggressive. They've pushed it. And it, it, when I was the GM of the Seahawks, Paul Allen and his group, when they took over, I'll never forget. They told me to get us in the middle of every deal you can. We can always say no. This was Paul Allen that obviously owned the Trailblazers and had been involved in, in an NBA style of traders, so to speak, um, kind of carrying over it into the NFL. And I actually loved it. Um, I was young enough where maybe I was just dumb, John, but I, was, <laughs> I wanted to be in every deal. And it was music to my ears that they pushed me beyond the, the, my even own comfort zone. So I think you see a lot of owners now that are willing and able and, and flush with cash uh, to, to be aggressive. And I think that's a good thing for the league. I mean, you've seen the narratives throughout the off season, what it's done. Um, hey, March Madness is now uh, associated with NFL free agency in my <laughs> mind. You know, that's how crazy it's been. 
when you were GM back at your time during free agency, what was your schedule like, like on a day-to-day basis? Um, it was hectic to say the least. I, I, I happen to recall this only last week because I had to go to the dentist for some dental work. And the dentist that I have has been with me for 35 years, right? He's been there through thick and thin. And there were times during free agency that I looked forward to going to the dentist. That's how, that's how hectic your schedule was. <laughs> and that's what I'm comparing it to. I remember, and we, we laughed about it. He said, I remember when you came in here and said, just give me the Novocaine and put me out. You know, <laughs> It gave me some peace of mind. But that tells you how your life evolves in that if you can find peace of mind in the dentist chair, God bless you. And, and that's really what the life of a GM is like. I absolutely loved it because some of us do our best work when put into a corner and having to multitask beyond even what we could discuss on, on a show like this. Um, and I absolutely loved it. I think these guys nowadays have to deal with a lot. And even like we said, the cap part of it, the, the um, medical part of it, it's all always been there, but I just think they're more willing to, to uh, gather their thoughts and pull the trigger on deals uh, than, than as a group, the GMs were, say, 10 or 15 years ago. What's the process in signing a free agent? How does it work from start to finish? Well, you first identify these players throughout the course of the season. Um, once your season winds down, we would sit down as a pro scouting department, much like you would do a month later with your draft guys and your scouts on the college side. But I wanted to know as soon as our season was over, what we thought, and if we could come to a consensus on some players that we thought were going to be available. The other thing you do is you want to have an idea early on, on maybe who some cap casualty guys might be. So that's like another element of building your team where you're going to get players, you know, for example, like a Bobby Wagner, that's still out there. Somebody like that, who I think most teams probably, you know, predicted he might come free. So we would do that during the month of January, along with going to college bowl games and maybe meeting for the first time with our college scouts on our draft board, but we went through our whole free agent process and developed a, 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 for lack of a better term, a draft board for NFL free agency, aside from the draft itself. So the worksheet started then, you would identify needs, uh, fits. Um, I always like to involve our coaches as much as we could in that free agent process because staffs are made up from all walks of life. And a lot of our guys came from other teams. So there is a little bit of recruiting in free agency to where the, the familiarity helps. So I would involve our staff if, if for no other reason, obviously we would get the evaluations from, from their angle uh, to add with what we had with the scouts, but the, the um, matrix of, of combining a guy's past with players he may have crossed paths with. So that kind of takes into effect as well. But the, the process really gets heavy in February once you go to the combine, but your work is done for the most part. Your boards are set for free agency. You kind of already have it in comparison with what's going to be, be available in the draft. So you can kind of work them both at the same time, if that makes any sense. But you kind of know ahead of time. And then you start setting up meetings with and, and conversing with agents. Um, obviously, at the combine is really when that first starts. So time flies when you're done with your season. I remember this one time coming home from New Orleans. In fact, we had lost a playoff game in Minnesota. And on the way home, John, I remember having looked around the plane and everybody was spent, right? Everybody was sleeping. Everybody was tired. The only light I could see was the one shining on my tray table. And I was making a list of what we had to do the minute we got back. 
So the off season starts, it started for us that night when we were flying back to New Orleans after the end of our season. That's how quickly you have to be ready to roll. So we, we, we start, we, we, we get through the off season, uh, through free agency, and then we hit the draft and, and you're just really on a, on a, on a mouse wheel the whole time. You never get to step off unless you go to the dentist. <laughs> Randy Mueller here on Sports Talk Chicago. You know, you mentioned something really interesting. So you talked about getting coaches involved and potentially crossing paths with other players that you might be recruiting. Is that a way to avoid the tampering problem? Well, I think sometimes, I don't know that we ever avoided the tampering problem. I get a kick out of the legal tampering term that the league office put on on uh, the NFL. Really, you always can converse with agents about a million things, right? What do they say? Uh, 80% of the players have 10% of the agents. So there's a few power brokers that kind of, you know, you can, you, it's, let's just face it. You're conversing about all their players for the most part. I ran into guys in lobbies with a list, uh, an illegal pad of here's my 20 guys. You know, <laughs> if there's anybody you want to talk about, let me know. So I don't know that anybody ever thought it was tampering per se, but I, the, the, the name the league gave it was there are certain teams that would complain to the league office about having their players talk to. And the league just finally said, Hey, we can't police this stuff. Forget it. Just grow up, put on your big boy pants, and we're going to call it legal tampering. So stop bothering us at the league office. <laughs> did you guys ever violate it, or did the league ever come after you for doing that? Well, I don't know if it, it really, we weren't breaking any rules. Nobody, everybody was, was doing the same thing. Everybody was conversing sure. with players um, for the most part. Uh, no, nobody ever, you know, challenged us as to, hey, you, we'd, and we weren't blatant behind, behind the scenes tampering either, per se. So it was kind of an unwritten rule. And again, that's probably why they named it legal tampering, because it was an unwritten rule already that you could converse with agents. And it's hard to, you know, uh, hard to police the kind of communication that happens on a daily basis in the NFL between agents and front offices. It just happens. And the same with the media as well. Let me ask you this, um, Larry Ogunjobi here in Chicago. So the Bears signed him. He failed his physical, didn't work out. What do you make of the whole situation? Um, physicals are a big part of the deal. I, I would only start by saying no deal was ever official until the physical was passed. And we made sure that every deal we signed was pending a physical. Um, hey, you're talking to the guy who, who had a deal done with Drew Brees in Miami when the physical came back and, and failed him. So there was a gut in our uh, a gut ache in our stomach then, as I'm sure there was for Ryan Poles when when this deal happened. It's it, it, that part of it is out of your hands. You you might give them a history of the information and the medical stuff, but hey, I, I, I am not qualified to be a doctor. I've stated a few Holiday Inns, but can't consider myself being <laughs> up to speed with with Doctorsville, so to speak. And I didn't even play one on TV, so it's a bad deal. It's hard. It happened to us in Seattle. I can remember a time or two when we signed a free agent, a guy I really wanted bad, an offensive lineman who's on TV now, as a matter of fact, and known for having about 21 different knee injuries. And so um, that's part of the business, right? You've got to check boxes before any deal is complete. That's why I would get nervous when, when an information might leak out from an agent that said, hey, the Seahawks have agreed or the Bears have agreed. We really, it's not a done deal until that physical is, box is checked. So tough spot. I think they had to, they had to, to let that one go and move on as quickly as they could. Doesn't mean they don't have feelings for the player uh, or feel bad for him, so to speak, but it just, all doctors are, are involved and they're part of the process and, and they should be. 
What happened with the Drew Brees situation? I didn't know you guys almost got him in Miami. Oh, no, that's pretty common. A common story told many days uh, since. Uh, you know, Nick Saban was the coach. I was the GM. Um, Drew was a free agent. He was between New Orleans and us. He had come to Miami, really, uh, for uh, uh, really what was a formality. We had kind of decided that this is what we wanted. He wanted it. Tom Condon was his agent. We kind of had a verbal parameters of a deal, so to speak. And then he failed the physical. And that's common knowledge now. The next day, he ended up signing with, with uh, New Orleans. So it was a tough deal. And, and just think about the fortunes that changed over one physical. So, yes, they are very important. Do you have any regrets today or no? Well, here's the thing. Most of the time, the dynamics of the medical side are tied to some other place within the organization. It just so happened in Miami. The doctors were good friends with our owner. So it wasn't like we could go against what they said. Everybody says, well, you can hire new doctors if you don't like what they tell you. No, we, that's not true. You can't do that. I know Ron Wolf tells that story, but that happened to him in Green Bay. He just hired new doctors. Well, we, we didn't have that option. We could not do that. And we couldn't go against their word. So we had to take uh, what they had given us and move in a different direction. Therefore, we couldn't sign Drew Brees. What made New Orleans approve him for the physical and not your doctors? Different doctors, different criteria, maybe a different level of desperation sometimes. There's just a lot that go into these things. Maybe, you know, it was funny, Mickey Loomis, my best friend at the time, was the GM of the Saints. My brother worked for the Saints. So by us, not being able to do it. Obviously, it, it, they had no problem pulling the trigger. And maybe they could hire new doctors if they didn't get the answers that they wanted to sign <laughs> Drew Brees. I, I say that tongue in cheek, but that's just the way it works out. Every doctor's got a different opinion of, of where you're going medically and, and what he's willing to, to take on as risk. And we just have to listen to him. So did Brian Poles do the right thing? Oh, 100%. You can't go against your doctors. I think that's an investment in a stock that your people deem to be flawed for whatever reason. You can't go against that. And I don't think, you know, I don't think many teams would, to be honest with you. Everybody would handle it just like he did. Andy Mueller here on Sports Talk Chicago. Randy, why are the Bears being so patient right now? I think the Bears are not in need of winning press conferences right now. I think they are in a rebuild. And I think the value that they will find over the next three weeks might surprise people. Um, they're not one or two players away from being a Super Bowl team, in my opinion. So they've got to build it a little different way. They've got to identify younger, ascending core players and bring them on board in some capacity. Most of those guys aren't willing to sign right now. They might be in a month. And I think it's all timing for, for Ryan Poles and the, and the Bears in the way they're building the team. So I wouldn't be too discouraged. In fact, I would be encouraged. I, I'm, I'm, I like the idea of them not going out and the first couple of weeks spending a bunch of money on a high priced guy off the street that, you know, we need five guys. We don't need one guy, that type of thinking, you know, is the rebuild the best option for them? Well, I think every year is a partial rebuild, John, to be honest with you, that's just the NFL. Now you you've got change. And the only thing for sure is going to be more change next year. A third of your roster changes every year. And you as a GM have to be more than a talent evaluator. You've got to be a value a valuer of talent and a team builder as much as anything else. So we'll find out if they're doing the right thing. Um, I like the approach where they're at now. They've got to be somewhat cautious. That doesn't mean they won't uh, make some deals at some point, but I think they're, they're trying to set up their core for the long haul, not necessarily to, to what gets them uh, a win on September 10th next year. How do you feel about the Khalil Mack trade? 
Well, obviously they're going through a scheme change, a new coaching staff. So I, I, I'm assuming that their position was, we're not sure how this fits. Um, the chargers are willing. His cap was giant. There's two thirds of the teams couldn't take him just because of cap reasons. The chargers love it because they don't have to pay any money up front. So they have cap space for sale, so to speak. And cap space, as we're finding out with these deals, that's value. So people are selling cap space really to get players. That's part of part of the negotiation now in compensation. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it. This regime didn't make the move for Khalil Mack. This scheme didn't necessarily fit perfectly. So, you know, I think it's it's time, it's a place. And that's an, another example of they're not necessarily not trying to win in September this season, but they're, they're setting themselves up for the long haul. And there's going to have to be probably at some point a, a redoubling down on money for Khalil Mack. And they just said, hey, why not do it now? He's not going to be in the long-range plans. Do you expect any more moves from the Bears moving forward? Well, I think the moves that, that I would be looking to make and that I would think, I think Ryan is, 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 and again, I don't know Ryan Poles. I'm just observing from afar. He's, he's looking for younger ascending players like the restricted free agent, you know, from Buffalo that they signed to the offer sheet, guys like that who can be around a little bit at a right number. Um, so I think that's what their their moves are going to be, maybe fewer and far between, but um, core players are what they're looking to identify. And if it means they don't get any core players out of free agency until May, so be it. They might sign a few, uh, 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 several guys once the price comes down. You just don't know where these where the thinking is on some of the guys who have had expectations dashed with regard to money. And then they've got to focus on the draft here at some point and, and uh, hopefully they can, you know, find a few guys uh, that, that again can identify as core players in their schemes. They don't have to find the best players. They have to find the best guys for them. If that makes any sense, the best guys that fit in their schemes. What would be the best guys? What needs should they address? Well, I don't know what their schemes are, are designed to, to produce, but my guess is the first week they all got there, they set a criteria by position of each guy knowing exactly what we're going to ask him to do when he comes here. That's really the number one goal when you get a new staff together is getting everybody on the same page as to what we're going to do with our guys at a position, at every position, and then identifying the traits that we're all going to be looking for. So, you know, not knowing what their schemes are, it's kind of hard for me to say what they view as. Uh, obviously, the offensive line has been an issue in Chicago the last couple of years. You know, I was kind of discouraged that they lost James Daniels. Um, I thought he might be an option for them at center, but they have other ideas because he played center at Iowa. So I didn't love that move. I didn't think his number uh, that Pittsburgh paid him was that great. I thought that he could have been a core player going forward. So I'm anxious to see what kind of group they put together there. Again, you can't go wrong redesigning offensive fronts and defensive fronts, especially that front seven for, for uh, Matt Eberfus and, and what his scheme is on defense. So you can't have enough new guys that fit what they want to do. How about um, when you go about the draft, how would you do it as a GM? Well, I'm, I'm strictly a build by consensus guy. I don't want to be right and have to have you be wrong. Guess what? I think the truth is in the middle somewhere when we look at players. So we're, I'm always been a consensus guy. I'm not in draft for need guy. I, I, I wish I could say I've never been a part of that, but I, I spent a few years with, with a club or two where they thought they were one player away 
and drafting for need in that regard, I have not seen it work out. Uh, everybody always says, well, we're at, this team's at eight. What do you, what do you think they should go for? I, I think they should go for the best player. That's what I think they should go for <laughs> on their board. So, and that can, you know, that can be boring to some, but I'm not going to bypass players on our board to fill a need uh, and draft a guy in, in the third lane or the third line of our board and pass over guys that we have greater valued and we spent all year valuing them. So I'm kind of an old school traditionalist when it comes to let's, let's pay the, the homage to what the work we've done for the whole year and kind of stay true to what the board tells us. We're the ones that lined up the board. If we just get the first, the guys who we all have consensus on and we like, we're probably going to have a pretty good draft. So that's just the idea. You know, I, I do hear a lot of, a lot of people talk about just because we have a big need to, to push players up based on our need, push them up in the draft process. I think you're playing with fire there, John. I really do. I think that's hard when you're looking to fill needs and dipping outside value pools to push them up to fill those needs. Is that more common today in the NFL? Well, I think it's common in prognosticators' eyes. I think it's common in analysts' eyes. I think it's it's really common in mock draft people's eyes, and and they do those by the dozens, as you know. Um, so as a GM, I would probably more so than ever before, and, and I was like this when in the chair, I would tune all that out. I, I would go weeks without even turning the TV on, and not in a disrespectful <laughs> way. I just, I, I don't have time for all that garbage in my mind. I can't put out all the fires that they're looking to start on, on a TV show or or even, you know, uh, radio or media or whatever. I just can't do it. And again, it's not to be disrespectful. I've got an idea of what I think and like, and the people who uh, I trust and actually know what we're looking for are with me in the room. So we always would say, let's just tune out anything outside this room. So I think that's, that's the challenge. And when you don't tune out the outside world, I think you make some of these need-based picks that get you in trouble. Did the Bears make a need-based pick in drafting Justin Fields? Um, no. I think they they valued him. I think they thought that they and, – and, and I think this will play out. I actually like Justin Fields a lot. Um, I think they did the right thing. Um, it was hard because they were betwixt and between. They didn't really have time to develop a young guy, as it turned out. But that's what – we kind of knew that going in that shouldn't have surprised anybody. So they were just in a tough spot. I think Ryan did the right thing. I think coach Nagy did the right thing in drafting fields. They just didn't get enough out of him in year one to show hope that, Hey, this, this is the right direction. And that's all, but no, I don't think they overdrafted him at all. So you never read a mock draft. Never. You never pay attention to him. Never read one before. Here's, here's when I would do it. The, the, once our board is set, once we know exactly what we're going to do, we're not going to move any cards. We always used to laugh. There's no cards being moved at nighttime. We're not having a midnight all-star game in the Bears draft room <laughs> when everybody goes home two days before the draft. So once it's set, then I would use everybody's mock draft to do mock drafts, to go through one by one, every one of them, the crazier, the better. I want to converse <laughs> about them all. I want to talk about them all but it's a time and a place, right? So that was the last thing we would do. All I'm using that for is, so I'll know if that scenario comes up on draft day, we will have talked about it and I know exactly what we're doing. So we might do a hundred of these mock drafts, John. The, the 
two or three days before the draft when the when the hay's in the barn. We're not we're not using them for the purpose of moving any cards or changing our thought. We're just strategically. Uh, it's like a, a walkthrough before the game. I want to have a walkthrough every game. I want to have five walkthroughs if we can, because I don't want anything to surprise us. And and because I think we used to do a lot of that, the dialogue on draft day, everybody used to say, oh, I'll bet you the draft room's crazy. It was minimal. It was quiet. Everybody knew we'd already talked about all the everything that could happen. <laughs> so why would you not use it any different than coaches do game plans, the whole bit? So we've talked about it. I'll just give one quick story. Sorry to bog us down, but one time in New Orleans, we did these mock drafts and we had Ricky Williams as our running back. And and um, the mock draft, one of them that we did two days before the draft threw us Deuce McAllister at 21 in the first round. And I had in the back of my mind, I always liked Deuce and, and thought it would make sense for us. There was some trust factors with what we do with Ricky long-term and that was a whole nother story. But I remember us going through one of these mock drafts two days before the draft and, and it popped up that Deuce McAllister is going to be sitting there at 21. And I remember Jim Hazlitt, who was our coach, looking at me and said, now what? I said, we're going to pick him because he was like the eighth guy on our board. Right. <laughs> and he's available at 21. So that's that again sold me that the value of mock drafts are in preparing uh, for all the scenarios, not necessarily for helping you set your board at all. More to come with Brandy Mueller in just a moment. Stay tuned. Vincent, Sports Talk Chicago. Brandy Mueller still here on Sports Talk Chicago. Brandy, a few more questions before we finish up. First off, is it true that you signed a free agent from the trunk of your car? <laughs> I actually signed a couple of them Really, <laughs> during this time. Yeah. And, and this is probably <laughs> dates me a little bit and might be before your time, John, but there was a time in Seahawk history where Ken Baring had owned the team. He was the owner, uh, lived in California, a developer from the Bay area um, where he was going to move the Seahawks to LA. Dennis Erickson was the coach. Mickey Loomis and I were running the front office. Um, and he, I remember him calling this in Super Bowl Sunday uh, the, the Super Bowl was in Arizona and he gave us his plan about how he was going to move the team. He was trying to get a new stadium in Seattle. And the only hammer he had was to move the team. And so uh, three weeks later, after our season ended, trucks came, moved all of our equipment to LA. We were in Rams Park in Anaheim, California. And that's where the Seahawks were, were setting up shop. We had no offices. We had no nothing. We were going to have to remodel this Rams Park and make it into a practice facility. In the meantime, free agency was starting. It was February at the time. It, it started earlier back then. The new league year had started. And so we opened the trunk of our car rental. And Mickey and I had notes spread out all over the trunk of the car, the hood of the car. That was our office. And I remember we signed... <laughs> Gosh, we signed Daryl Williams, a, a Pro Bowl uh, safety. We signed Mike Sinclair, who was a Pro Bowl pass rusher. We signed Dean Wells, our middle linebacker. We signed a whole bunch of deals in a couple of days out of the back of our car. So it sounds like uh, a crazy story, but it was just a crazy time in Seahawk lore. And we had no offices. We ended up coming back to Seattle and working out of a Marriott courtyard, I think, uh, not too far from where our office was because we couldn't go there because they had bomb threats from, from the fans in Seattle didn't want us to leave. So it was a crazy time, but yes, it was, it was true. We signed guys out of the trunk of our car. <laughs> Is that the most bizarre place you've made a signing? Is there anywhere else? Um, I've had some interesting places where I've signed guys. Uh, Dave Dunn, longtime agent in the business, uh, 
good friend of mine for years. Uh, I grew up in Northern Idaho, a little logging town, and there's a little lake town called Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but um, we signed, he had three draft picks one year that we drafted in Seattle. So he had three of them. And we did all three of them over a beer and a napkin, listening to a concert at the on on the lake in a couple of lawn chairs <laughs> at, at a resort. So that was that was up there as well. But um, I always get a kick out of that. One of them was Chad Morton, who's been a longtime coach in the league forever, and we always chuckle over it. But yeah, I would say that the trunk of a car uh, had to had to be up there near the top. That's for sure. <laughs> Randy, before we finish up today, last question: What do you do with your gear after you were fired from a team? Well, it's funny. I think we, we probably both saw the video of Mike Mayock and, and his story to um, Dan Patrick on his show about him going to the fire station. I, I took four, three or four hefty bags full of dolphin stuff when I left there to a shelter in North Miami and uh, had all my stuff in it and dropped it off to them and talk about a scramble of grateful people. It was, the, it was one of the best things I've ever did. And uh, I'll never forget it. They, they, those guys were so happy to get it. They're all big Dolphin fans, as you can tell, or I would imagine. And they just went through it like crazy. The only thing I made them do was say thank you. And, and they all did. And it was awesome. So I think it, it, all of those things don't get talked about enough. But uh, I do think people, for the most part, uh, want to make others feel good, even if it's at their own expense, you know. Randy, thank you so much for joining me. Amazing insights. Uh, best wishes to you in your future and looking forward to the next time we chat too. Thank you so much. Thanks, John. Great talk there with Randy Mueller. That'll do it for us today here on Sports Talk Chicago. Big thank you to Randy Mueller himself, Matt Dubiel, WCKG, Jim DeTalbin, to Marlboro Entertainment for making this show a success. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at John Z Sports and on Facebook, John Zaglul. You to watch more of this show. Search up Sports Talk Chicago, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, sportstalkchicago.com. Another great show comes with tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening. Till then, stay safe. So long, everyone. No! No! There was a turn!